Once again, I want to welcome everyone here to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. We are continuing our study in the book of the Apocalypse, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I begin, I would like to tell you a little bit about what's going on inside of me right now. Every time I believe anyone preaches, uh, I believe it's similar to what I feel. I, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. People sometimes tell me, oh, you don't ever look nervous. I'm always nervous when I preach. I'm always afraid when I preach. And, and the reason is this, that the scriptures tell us the mind of God. And it contains the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I'm praying before I get up here, please don't let me do all the talking. Allow the scriptures to be clear. Mm -hmm. And that's what my prayer is today. Mm -hmm. Because when you're going through the apocalypse, this is a unique scripture. It is something that has to be interpreted. And so unless we understand many parts of the Old Testament, and unless we understand the basic doctrines of the New Testament, as they are shown to us from the Old Testament, uh, we, we have a danger of creating new doctrines by looking at pictures and symbols, and we don't want to do that. I want you to hear what the Lord has in his book. And so, as I speak, please uh, ask the Lord to give me clarity of thought, clarity of purpose, that his words uh, might be from his scripture. And so with that... I'm going to ask the Lord to give assistance. And I don't mean that he is my assistant. What I'm meaning is that I need help. I need the Lord's assistance. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we now ask, Holy Spirit, we now plead with you that the word be made clear, that these things that John has seen in the Apocalypse might be clear to us and that we might understand being your people in the wilderness of this life how you have prepared a nourishment for us and safety for us even now as our enemy Satan that old ancient dragon wars with us and we pray Lord that we would be given strength by your truth by your word, that our souls be made healthy, even though our bodies fall apart, even though we are persecuted in the flesh, even to the death in some places. We ask, Lord, that our souls might be in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, not that he would ever leave us, but that our faith would be solid upon that promise you gave us. So, Father, we pray that your word be made clear. For the glory of Christ, may he be lifted up. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, the doctrine I have for you today is quite simple. The church has a place prepared for us by God. God has prepared a place for his people. Now, this world that we live in for us, is a wilderness. It truly is. 
but for us, the world sees it. You know, they look at us the way we live, and they say, I would never follow them. They seem to have forgotten what happiness is. They seem to have forgotten what good things to enjoy. And so to them, they actually see us in a wilderness. But the wilderness that we actually are living in is a land that has been provided by God with manna every day, with water from a rock, with truth. He preserves us and keeps us in a place where the enemy would never dare to go. In fact, if the enemy should even try to pursue us, they will be overtaken in the Red Sea, and the chariot and the horse and his rider will be submersed and destroyed forever. We are preserved. Now, <clears throat> that's what we are going to take home with us today. Now, in review, we have gone through three visions already. Now, the apocalypse contains seven visions. And we have completed three already. And so we're about to start chapter 12. Now, if you're unfamiliar with how many chapters, there are 22 chapters in this particular book. And they have been divided in such a way by men, not by God. We have divided the scriptures up. Um, that is, people have studied it and they've said, this is a good place to, to end this particular section. And it's divided in sections. And so the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of, I mean, the, uh, chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 12 is almost the midpoint of the book. And there truly is a demarcation here where the beginning, the first 11 chapters are slightly different than the last 11 chapters. We have completed three visions. Remember how we had the vision of the church on earth, chapters one through four. John sent letters wrote letters, sent them to the churches in Asia. There was a vision of Christ walking among his people, among the churches. Then we had a vision of the throne of God and where Christ approached the throne and was given a scroll of seven seals and he opened all seven seals. These were chapters five through seven. We saw how Christ had the authority. He was the one worthy to open the scrolls. And then we had a vision of seven trumpets from chapters eight through 11. And at the end of the seventh trumpet, we have the judgment of the world. Now, also, every one of these visions, to the best that I could understand, told us about the time when Christ ascended to the time when he returned. Each one. Every one of those visions gave us an understanding from a different viewpoint. A viewpoint of the church, a viewpoint from, uh, from the throne of God, and then also a viewpoint of those that dwelt on the earth. But they all started with the ascension of Christ, ended with the return of Christ. And now we're looking at a vision that's going to go from chapters 12 through 14. And we are not going to look at a seven of anything, such as seven seals or seven trumpets. But after this vision, we'll look at seven bowls of wrath. But this seems to be a vision that has more information concerning spiritual warfare and the nature of our salvation and so within this vision we have a different perspective but once again in this vision we begin with the ascension of Christ and it ends with the return of Christ but this time the perspective will be what type of warfare and what our salvation will look like to us
And so this particular vision, there are some characters that we need to look at. And when I say characters, what I mean like uh, there will be a dragon. I'm going to call him a character, but you know we know who that's going to be. It will be the person of Satan. We have a dragon to consider. We have a beast that's going to rise up out of the sea. Now, this is a character, but it also represents the Antichrist with great authority given to him by Satan. We also have a beast that's going to come and rise up from the land. Now, this is also going to be a helper of the dragon, a servant to Satan, who authenticates the authority of the beast from the sea. We will know him later in other visions as of the false prophet. But now we have these three characters, the dragon, a beast from the sea, and a beast from the land. But we also have another character, and it's going to be those that receive willingly from their hearts a mark from this beast. And so there will be a group of people, other helpers of the dragon, those who have the mark of this beast. And so these characters are all from the dark side, shall we say. They're all on the side of sin and darkness. There's going to be another character that we'll look at, actually two characters, a woman and a child. Now, when we, you know, now before we get into the scriptures and get into the, we'll go verse by verse, which we will do this morning, I want you to remember that we are now halfway through, and the first half went right up to the first advent where Christ came. Now we know that when he came, he took on our flesh, and he willingly laid down his life that we might receive righteousness that we needed to be saved from our sin. And he willingly took and bore our sin on the cross. Now we're going to see that as a total victory over death and Satan. Because Christ came to destroy the devil and the works of the devil. We'll see here in this vision how he's going to be cast out of heaven. But you'll notice and when we get to the scripture that it never mentions the atonement. Because that's not the topic of this vision. This child will present himself and immediately ascend up to his throne. And so we're going to look at the woman. And don't be mistaken, this woman who gives birth to Christ is not the Virgin Mary. This woman is his church. Then we have Christ who is the child. And so there are three main characters today because we're only going to look at verses 1 through 6. Will be the woman, the child, and the dragon. So let's read the scriptures and see what we can glean. We'll read verses 1 and 2 from chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, the first thing I want to mention is this. This is a vision. This is something that John is seeing. And right away, we see the sun, the moon, and stars. Now, this may jog a few memories about a, a dream that Joseph had, remember, in, in Genesis chapter 37. He had a dream. His first dream was about the sheaves 
that were being uh, gathered up in the fields and how they bowed themselves down to Joseph. He told his brothers, and their brothers hated him for it. Why? Because they knew. They knew right away that the dream was saying they would be bowing down to Joseph. Well, he had another dream where the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down, and he told his father. And it was no mystery. You know, they said, well, how, did, how do they know what it is? Right away they knew. And Jacob said, are you telling me that me and your mother and your brothers will all be bowing down to you? And so we see that there seems to be an understanding. And many times a Christian will read through the apocalypse and they'll say, I think I know what this is, but they're afraid to say so. It's okay to be afraid. But I'll tell you, when I, when I read this, I read a lot of commentators too, but I got a suspicion when I read this that this was, you know, the first thing that popped in my head was, that is not the Virgin Mary. That is the church of the Old Testament becoming the church of the New Testament, and Christ came by the seed of Abraham, and this is a very important aspect clothed with the sun, standing on the moon with stars on her head like a diadem, like a crown. Now, it's described as a great sign. Now, you know, this word greats appears twice in these verses. You know, it talks about there is another sign of a great red dragon. It's a little bit different than saying there is a great sign there was a woman. See, one's a great sign and the other one's just a great dragon. A little bit different, but something that we should pay attention to. Now, this woman, the commentators I read, I, I remember one saying, oh, she was a glorious woman, filled with glory because of the light and so on. But I read this as this, she was clothed with the sun. This is not like the image of Christ we saw at the beginning, where his face shone like the sun. He was the source of the light. His, his eyes were like, were like burning bright, and his feet were like shining brass. Everything about the Lord, the sun, the light came from him. But here we have a woman who does not have her own light. She is clothed with the sun, clothed with it standing on the moon. Now, when I think of the creation of the world, we have a sun that rules the day, and we have a moon that rules the night. And how do they rule? By the light that they give. And Christians, the church of Jesus Christ, we wear the righteousness of Christ to stand before God, but we are Christians People must see Christ in us. We must be bearing the image of God within our hearts and walk among this world so that people can see him and not us. It's what we are wearing. It is the image of Christ himself. And we stand upon the truth, the light that he has given us. Firmly stand. A reflected light that only comes from the Son himself. And the crown that we have, 
represents the church that reigns with Christ. Now, you see that Christ doesn't reign the way the Gentiles reign. Remember how Christ told his disciples that? He doesn't reign the way they do. We do not try to lord it over people and saying, you can do this and not do that. The main thing that we do is that like the Proverbs say, he that rules his own heart is mightier than the one who rules a city. And Christ reigns within us with the staff of a shepherd, guiding us by the Holy Spirit, using the truth. But he also reigns with a rod of iron over this whole world as the sovereign king. And so this woman is obviously the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatness of this is that she is being preserved in a world that hates her. From the very beginning, the devil has sought out to kill the fruit and the seed of the woman. Even from Genesis chapter 3, we have read where there is a war between the seed of the woman and the serpent from the very beginning. This woman is in great travail. She's great with child. You just kind of get the image in your head that there is a woman, and there's no woman more vulnerable than a woman who's about to give birth. She's not there with weapons. She's not there with armor. She is, she is there ready to give birth. And of course, the other character there is the dragon. This is not Mary. She is in what we would call the fullness of time. Remember that phrase? In the fullness of time, Christ came made of a woman. It was a time where all the events of history brought Christ into this world. And how did this happen? It happened right in the middle of creation. Right in the middle of creation. If you wanted to think about how God created all the heavens and the earth and all that earth that are in them and everything that has happened. Think about the creation time. In six days, God created all things. On the seventh, he rested. And within that period of time, within his own heart and mind, he determined in the middle of creation to bring his son to destroy the works of the devil. And then at the end of that creation, he would come back and judge the world. Now, if God made all things and rested in within seven days, what is in the middle of seven? Three and a half. You will find that three and a half is a recurring theme and a recurring time period within the apocalypse. It's given to us in a variety of ways. Three and a half years, three and a half days, 42 months, 1,260 days. They all depict the very same period of time. But it all seems to be from the beginning to the middle to the end. Seven is the completeness of everything. And three and a half is right in the middle. The completeness of it. So, we have the image. A woman giving birth. And we have Satan there ready. Now, I don't know about you, but... Just imagine... Now, some of you have children, some of you have wives, 
And, uh, you know, when, when I had my children, you know, my, my wife was ready to give birth. And, and you know who was there? A doctor, a nurse, midwife, everyone caring, everyone ready to take care of the baby. But that's not this image, is it? There's no doctor. There's no midwife. We actually have a dragon ready to devour the child as soon as he is born. What is more helpless than a newborn child? What is more helpless than a woman travailing in birth? Now, do you see the drama right before you? Do you see the stage that has been set by the Holy Spirit to you that we have a woman giving birth and a dragon? Let's read verses 3 and 4. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that, he, uh, so that when she bore her child, that he might devour it. Now, the great sign here is not the dragon. The great sign is the woman. But what we have here also is a great red dragon. Now, dragon is an interesting word. Did you know that uh, many times in the Psalms, Pharaoh is called a dragon, a dragon of the Nile, because that's the way he's being described. Red, when's the last time we saw red in this apocalypse? Was it not one of the horsemen of the four horses of the apocalypse? And what was that horse? War, war. Red with what? Well, what do you think? Blood, blood. We have a dragon, shall we call him a bloodthirsty dragon, waiting for Christ to be born. Now this dragon is described as having seven heads. Now remember the word seven. Is he a holy dragon? No. Seven isn't just confined to the description of the spirits that are before God. It is a complete number. It is a number that says all things. And so this dragon, having seven heads, Heads meaning like authority, the ability to rule. This dragon is in charge of all of the fallen world. All of it. It says that he has ten horns. Now, people try to say, well, maybe this is the European Union, maybe this is the fallen empire, maybe they were looking for... And they start looking through the history books of the names of kings and this and that, try to match it up and so on. But the idea of ten is that it's completely comprehensive. All. All crowns. All authority. Everything. This dragon is behind all of the kingdom of darkness. He moves its characters. He incites uh, all and energizes all those that war against God. He is the source behind it. Now, the first half of the Apocalypse, chapters 1 through 11, we had, we have the world fighting the Christian. And every once in a while, we see Satan mentioned. But in the last 11 chapters, we're going to see Christ being fought by Satan. And every once in a while, the world is mentioned. And so the scene is a little bit different. Now the curtain has been pulled back where we see the true instigator of this war, and it is the devil himself. But he is in charge of the world. He is going to be in charge of the beast of the land and the beast of the sea. And so, remember when we had a vision concerning scorpions coming out of the bottomless pit? 
They actually came out of the smoke that came out of the pit. And the scorpions had tails. Remember their tails? That is where they had their power. And we determined that this particular power was the influence and the design to change what people believed about God. It was false doctrine. Now what we have here is a description of the devil taking his tail and scooping a third part of the stars out of heaven. What I can see here, and I'm telling you this, this is my opinion. I'll tell you what thus says the Lord, but here comes one of my opinions. Satan has his own approach in his rebellion against God, and it has to do with deception, has to do with false teaching, and it's against our God. And he began with the armies of heaven. Now, I have no idea how many angels there are, but I have a suspicion there's a lot. Perhaps millions. Perhaps millions of millions. It says here that his false doctrine, is my opinion, convinced at least a third of them to follow his rebellion. Now, you may say, well, that's only a third. Well, a third of millions of millions is quite a bit. And if they are thrown to the earth, here we are. Among millions of millions of those who are warring against God. And they have their leader, the dragon, waiting for Christ, who has been promised from the very beginning to come. And, the, and Satan wants to destroy him. He wants to devour him. Can you remember the time when Christ was born? Who, you know, who would you think, oh, Merry Christmas. This is the time in which we receive the coming of Christ. But how was Christ actually received? Did not Herod hear that there was a Christ coming? And he heard of these men coming to worship him, and he convinced them, Find out where the child is. I will come and worship him too. But instead he kills all the children up and down the coast, especially in Bethlehem, from two years and under. Death. He was a dealer of death. He wanted to kill Christ. Christ himself, when he went out before his ministry, and his ministry happened to be three and a half years, by the way, and before he went out, he called himself by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what did Satan do in the wilderness? He tried to kill him. He even took him up to a pinnacle. Throw yourself off. He went out and said, after many days, he was a hunger. He was out there 40 days. And Satan said, make these turn these stones into bread. And what was the re reply of our Lord? He said, look, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We'll come to that later again. The Pharisees sought his life. The high priest eventually brought false accusations. And so worldly authorities, at the coercion of false worshipers, murdered our Lord. You have the beast of the land. You have the beast of the sea. You have the authority of the world. But you also have the authorities of false Christianity or false religion. They are all against the seed of the woman. Now, she gave birth to a male child. Who is to rule all, now I'm reading verse number five. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God to end to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness and she was 
uh, has, and she has a place prepared by God in which she is also to be nourished for 1,260 days. If you'll notice, there's something obviously left out here, and that is the fact that our Lord willingly died on the cross to atone for our sins. Because this passage in this image, this vision, is designed to show who is the boss, who is in charge, who is actually running the show. Because if you take a look at a, the comparison and you compare, well, on this side, we have the dragon and we have a beast of the land and a beast of the sea and hordes of those that willingly take on the image of the beast. And over here we have a pregnant woman and a baby. Okay, let the fight begin. Do you see what we have here? But what does it say? He ascended up immediately to the throne. Do you see? It's like what John said at the very beginning. He heard the lion of the tribe of Judah. What a wonderful, mighty thing to hear. And when he turned and looked, he saw a lamb slain. Here we see a child, a helpless child. But he ascends up to the throne to what? To reign. To reign as our God. This child, this child will defeat the devil. He is going to be cast down. He will rule in the hearts of his people. And how does he rule? He rules by the very loving, pure law of God written in our hearts. What did Christ say before Pilate? Pilate said, do you have a kingdom? I said, well, did you say this of yourself? Do the others say it? Because the kingdom of God is within us. And he says that if, if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight with hands, with swords. What do we fight with? It is the word of God by loving our enemies. We are the ones, we are the, the meek and the helpless of this world, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us that will defeat sin, sin and death by the power of God, by Christ himself. We are always going to be that child with, 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 with a, a pregnant woman that's just given birth. We are going to be helpless against the dragon in this life, in this world. But I'm telling you, there is more to this world than just our physical bodies. We have the souls that are being saved by grace within us. So, we have the dragon, we have his helpers against the child who was born in a barn. That is what we have in this war. The world has kings, it has princes, it has dominions and powers and authorities, but they are all defeated by the poor and the weak and the powerless of this world, of this world. God has chosen the weak. God has chosen those who are not powerful. He has chosen to save sinners. 
Now, some may be powerful, like Paul. Some may be great. But for the most part, we are not. Christ ascends immediately to the throne. And what do we hear? What do we already know? The one who is there now is opening seals. He has authority to decree all that has happened. He has the authority to blow the trumpets, to bring about judgment on all the peoples of this earth. He rules with a rod of iron. No one can stay the hand of God in his providence. This world is run by God. And yet the world does not even see or recognize him. They believe because they are given their hearts over to sin that they do what they wish. They do what they wish. Now, this woman flees into the wilderness and has a place prepared by God. Now, the wilderness is that place prepared by God. Now, I want you to take that phrase and I want you to own it. Your life has been prepared by God. Your wilderness has been prepared by God. I'm going to give you three illustrations here. I might go just a little bit over, but just, just ignore it. Okay? There has been, in our history of God's people, a freed nation of slaves. Remember? They were taken into slavery by Egypt. They found their refuge in the wilderness, and they were delivered from the dragon of the Nile. Now, I'm going to give you a piece of information that I read by a commentator. I found it fascinating. If you go to the book of Numbers and read chapter 33, you'll see a historical recounting of the events in the wilderness. It'll tell you every time they stopped and camped. Do you want to know how many times these people stopped and camped in the wilderness? 42 times. 42 times they stopped and camped in the wilderness. They received manna from heaven every one of those days. They received water in the wilderness every one of those days. Now, I want you to consider this. We are going to be nourished in our souls by the bread of heaven. We're going to be nourished and there will be within us, welling up within us, waters of life for others to drink. Mm -hmm. We will have what we need in this life, even if we are deprived of what the world wants. They're not going to look at us and say, boy, I wish I was like them. No, they're not. Why would they? They don't want what we want. We want to be away from Egypt. We would rather be in the wilderness worshiping our God, having our souls fed by manna and drinking the water of the gospel than to be in the world. And they're not going to follow us. They're not going to come after us because we have a place prepared by God. The next illustration I want you to show is, is, you, uh, is Elijah. Elijah was told that he could give the world a famine for as long as he wanted. Now, there's a gift for it, isn't there? What can you give the world? A famine? Well, do you know why he brought a famine to this land? Because the false gods of Baal claimed to be in charge 
of the rain and of the way the crops grew and the way all the blessings that these people thought they were getting from their false gods. They thought everything good came from our bales and from our gods. But you know what Elijah said? Let me show you who is in charge of true blessings. And he brought famine and he brought a drought. He brought a drought. Now, during that drought, he attached himself to a widow. And this widow fed him with oil and with flour. And it never ran out in those three and a half years. And you know what happened during that time? He challenged the prophets of Baal. 400 of them. He slew the prophets of Baal. After the slaying, after the slaying of these prophets, you know what happened? It began to rain after three and a half years. After three and a half years. After 42 months. After 1,260 days. But God's people had a never-ending supply of oil. God provides for his people. The last illustration is this. Christ himself spent 40 days in the wilderness. He disciplined his flesh to endure the temptations of the flesh. The world would use the power of God to provide and to feed the flesh. But that's not what the power of God is designed to do. It's designed for the soul. He said when he was tempted, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is our manna. That is the water that our souls need. There is a place prepared for us. It is the gospel. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is how we are going to survive in this last half of creation. From the time that Christ ascended and sat on his throne to the time when he splits the sky at the sound of the last trumpet and he comes back. We are going to be feeding upon our Christ and resting in his atonement. Mm -hmm. He is our king and he rules in our hearts. So, life is a wilderness. They will not follow us there. And this time is measured from this time to this time. It's 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. It's all the same, isn't it? Sometimes you go to the store and you buy, you know, how many eggs you want. Well, I want, I want a dozen. Oh, no, you want, you want two half dozens, don't you? Oh, no, no, just give me 12 eggs. You know, aren't they all the same? Well, I guess it all depends. If you're, if you're going to make a day every day to eat, you may say, well, I like to have 12 eggs. I, I'm going to eat egg an egg for every day for 12 eggs or you may say i have a recipe i want to make two cakes and i want six in each cake so i want two half dozens or you may say i'm going to make something out of 12 eggs just give me a whole dozen it all depends on what you're going to do with how you say right because when god says i will take care of you for 1260 days you know what i hear every single day god is there to help you every single day the word is there and every time you stop and camp, God will be there. He will be there by the month. He will be there by the year. He will be there by the day. Mm -hmm. Whatever your needs are, but it will be for the whole time. Mm -hmm. It'll be for the entire time. 
Now I have one illustration, one practical example, and then I'm going to be done. These two great events in history, the first advent and the second advent, are the two greatest things that we can consider right now. I listened to a message by, the, by, the, by a guy by the name of Beaky, and I thought it was very, very good. And he gave an illustration about an event or two events that happened during World War II. One event was D-Day. The other event was VE Day. Now, if you don't know what VE Day means, it means victory in Europe. Now, one day happened D-Day. Now, that didn't end the war. But you know what D-Day was? It was the smashing of Europe, and then that was the beginning of the end of Hitler. Everything after D-Day, it was like, we got it made. We're winning, and this is going down. But it wasn't until a year later that VE was declared, victory in Europe. He said this, and I thought it was a pretty good illustration. When Christ came the first time, and he died on the cross for sin, he destroyed death and he defeated the devil. He defeated the devil and the power of death. It was, it was, it was the day that he broke the back of, of Satan. That was the day that we won the war, but it wasn't over yet. You see, one day there'll be a victory in Europe day in which everyone comes to the table, all the treaties are signed, and everyone goes, this group of people goes behind that border, and this group of people goes behind that border, and peace is declared. That's victory in Europe. However, on the day of judgment, because he is worthy and died for sin and defeated death, now we have people in the New Jerusalem and those in the Lake of Fire. It is the day in which all victory is officially made and declared. So the church has a place prepared for us. I mean, God has a place prepared for us. Let me rephrase that. And it is, it is a gift of God. The wilderness that we live in, that seems to be what the world would never want. You know, they give up everything that's worth living for. Oh, no. Let us sell everything to buy that land that we might get the pearl of great price. Let us give up our lives to live for Christ. Let us live our lives and say, may it be sacrificed for the glory of God. Because we know that we will be fed by his book. We will be fed by the gospel. We will be given drink. This world is a wilderness to us. But it is a place of safety and nourishment. God will take care of us. But it's going to be all the way to the end of the war. And we are at war with Satan. He is a dragon. And we are helpless to the world. But I'll tell you what. We have a Christ who sits on his throne. Ruling in his hearts of his people. And whether they know it or not. He rules them with a rod of iron. He is the one that has decreed the end from the beginning, breaking the seals, blowing the trumpets. He is our God, and he is in charge. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we now pray that the gospel be made clear. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for the sinners. 
thank you that you have provided your own righteousness for us, that we might live humbly in this world, knowing that the meek shall inherit the earth because you are sitting on your throne. And we pray, Lord, that sinners might hear this message, that they might repent of their sins. We pray, Lord, take those who have always followed the dragon, who proudly wear the mark of the beast, that they might be saved from their sin, and that the Spirit of God, that you, your Spirit, might impress upon them the image of Christ, that they might have the mark of God upon them, that they might receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, give them faith. Give them, Father, a hatred of sin, that they might see who they are, that they might understand and open their eyes, knowing that they've been bitten by serpents and, and that they should look to see the brazen snake, the one who came and took on our flesh. And yet when we cast our eyes upon Christ, upon that, upon that tree, that we will be healed. Oh, Father, heal the sinner. Give them grace. Be with your churches around the world. Give your gospel free reign. We pray this for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.